0: Super honored to be uh, a speaker on these Saturday Night Live meetings. I've been going to these meetings for several months and never thought that I would be someone actually sharing on one of these. So I'm extremely grateful and honored to be here. This is my only second time sharing in a meeting setting, so forgive my nerves and maybe my, you know, quivering voice. Um, but actually, just like a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was asked to share my first meeting by my sponsor, and I had just finished uh, my first three steps. So she had asked me to speak upon my experience with steps one through three. And so I actually just finished step four this week, but I thought I would kind of retrace my uh, share from a few weeks ago and um, bring that back to this meeting. So um, here's my experience with Steps 1 through 3 and just overall over my recovery. And by the way, I'm Shelby, and I'm a marijuana addict from Chicago. So Step 1 says, we, w- we admitted we were powerless over marijuana and that our lives had become unmanageable. Step 1, my sponsor had asked me to record my history of marijuana use. Um, this is probably to get on paper how my addiction began and progressed, perhaps, to even you know look back upon it in case I ever forget how unmanageable my life actually got. I started smoking weed when I was fourteen. Um, I immediately fell in love with it. I used to leave high school during lunch, get high, and go back to class. At that point, it was fun. It brought people together. It brought me you know new friends and new groups, and it led me to curiosity to other drugs. But nothing was like weed to me. I once smoked weed before one of my high school lacrosse games, and I scored three goals in the game. And this was actually probably one of the worst things to happen to me because it opened the door to the S word, functionality. In that experience, I proved to myself that I could not only function on weed, but perhaps even thrive. I've often wondered why I became an addict. My parents are really straight edge. They hardly put any mind-altering substances in their body. Um, But I realized in this program, in these meetings, that addiction doesn't have to be, you know, substances. I realized my parents suffer from perfectionism and are definitely workaholics. They're defined by their success and accomplishments in life. And unfortunately, this was also passed down to me. And I kind of recently put together that maybe a reason I became a marijuana addict and possibly not a more serious drug addict might be my ultimate fear of disappointing my parents and their perfectionist expectations of me and my ability to still succeed in life while still being a pothead. It was kind of an F you to them in life. Like, look what I can still achieve while getting stoned all day. Ego and pride are definitely two of my absolute most consistent and prominent character defects. So in the end, though, the biggest fu was definitely to myself. No one knew I was an addict. That's how, quote, good of a liar I was, and that's something I'm not proud of at all. But uh, I am starting to get over the need to know why I'm an addict. It still plagues me sometimes, but I'm starting to come to grips with the fact that it really doesn't matter why I am a marijuana addict. I smoked weed for 22 years. And the last, like, 9 or 10, um, it wasn't just a daily habit, but an hourly habit. Uh, They say ours is a progressive illness. Yes. So I started playing Division I lacrosse in college, and we were hair hair tested for drugs randomly. So I mostly didn't smoke weed in college because of this, but if I went home for the holidays or I happened to be around weed, I sometimes would dabble and risk my entire sports career. And also the day our lacrosse season ended every year, I'd go to town on buying Ace from our dorm dealer and spend all of my summer money on weed. My addiction definitely snowballed as I grew up. I remember Ace lasting me like a month in my early to mid-20s, and then in my later 20s, an Ace would maybe last a week. It wasn't really until I moved to L.A., though, when I was like, 28 29 that I could buy weed from dispensaries with a medical marijuana card and get it delivered. And then that's really when I started smoking before work, after work. I, you know, I realized I was fairly functional and good at this. So I not only started to smoke before work, but I'd also leave my job multiple times during the day to smoke weed and um, I did this for a couple of years until I really started to recognize that maybe I did have a problem. And just like step one says, I'd try to play games, tell myself, you know, I'd only smoke three times a week, but then i redefine what a time meant. And maybe that could mean five bong rips if I at least did it in one sitting. Uh, I started to date a guy who was the first person in my entire life to confront me and tell me that he thought I had a problem. So I felt really uncomfortable and exposed, but I will always remember this as a gift from my higher power. Finally, someone outside of me had recognized I had a problem, and this led me to seek out therapy for the first time, and my experience with Marijuana Anonymous in Los Angeles in 2016 began. So I didn't really do this time in MA very well, I'll admit. Um, I went to meetings that were close to my house in LA, you know, traffic a total suck. Um, So I only went to like one or two meetings a week, always made excuses for ones I couldn't make. I tried out having a sponsor for like a month or so. I did this workshop actually where we went through all 12 steps in one day, and then I didn't work any steps at all otherwise than that, and that's not something I'd recommend. I did get 60 days clean, which was a lot more time without weeds than I ever remember having. Um, I do remember feeling good, clear, Even my therapist um, mentioned seeing such a difference in me. But then I relapsed. I thought I could control it now after 60 days. And eventually this guy and I broke up and I started smoking a lot again. And then in 2018, I moved back to Chicago with this tiny hope that because weed wasn't legal here, my addiction might not be as bad. And I shipped about $500 worth of weed back to Chicago And within a month, I found a dealer, and pretty soon, I was getting weed delivered to my job. Vape pens became a thing, my utter total demise. Easy to conceal, the easiest way to consistently keep myself stoned all day long. I once vaped sitting next to my mother while she was visiting me, watching a movie on the couch, and she had no idea. So it was back at it all over again smoking before work, during work, after work, before doing yoga, before teaching yoga, laundry, dishes, seeing friends, seeing family. I would even get high to get high. So now what brought me back here? 2020 rolls around this year, New Year's hits. And while things in my life I thought you know, aren't that bad, I spend like the first four hours of New Year's Day this year Vaping in my bed, journaling and crying. Something I realized really had to change in my life. I just knew this was not normal. I couldn't go on like this. So once again I signed up for therapy and my therapist suggested to go back to marijuana anonymous meeting. So on this Friday of this year, January twenty fourth, I showed up to some dingy basement. I see three guys there Francis, Dave, and Rick. And I enter marijuana anonymous meetings again. I find phone meetings, which absolutely changed my life and allow me to participate in recovery meetings on a daily basis uh, when I otherwise would have had gaps in between meetings. And it wasn't totally automatic. It's not like I just stopped smoking weed all of a sudden, which I know some people's stories are. But, you know, I still actually go to meetings high. I'd be on the phone meetings vaping and crying while people shared. But eventually, within a few weeks, I stopped. I remember the scene of events that caused me to stop. I, like, traveled for a work trip to New York, and I didn't bring my vape pen. And I always brought my vape pens to work trips. And I remember presenting to clients and being very clear and realizing this was such a better, easier, more freeing way to live. And being self-conscious about how my eyes looked, what I was saying, if I remembered questions accurately. There were times where I would get asked a question, begin answering it, and then forget what the original question was. Or I was talking and in the middle of the sentence, I forgot what I was about to say. So when I came back from that trip realizing these things, a day later I went to go teach yoga at 6 a.m. And I usually smoked before that, so waking up at 5.30 to smoke weed. And I didn't smoke that morning. And that was it for the last 275 days, or nine months and one day. So with 275 days, I counted this just before the meeting, I've been to over 335 meetings. This being my 336. So that means I average about 1.22 meetings a day. I have a sponsor. She's awesome. She keeps me accountable. And I just finished step four two days ago. The last question in the workbook for step one asks us, am I ready to admit that I'm powerless over marijuana and that my life has become unmanageable? I'll never forget one Sunday at a 420 meeting in Chicago that we have. There's a gentleman named Dennis, and he said, if you're waking up and getting high, you're probably an addict. If you need to get high to get through breakfast, you're an addict. If you're sitting here in this meeting on a beautiful Sunday afternoon because you think you might have a problem, guess what? You probably do. Mm -hmm. I always laugh at that, you know, and I'm no longer ashamed of being an addict. I find immense value in this program, the people in it, the wisdom shared, the community we built. It's evident that I need this program and I need to stay consistent and remind myself on a daily basis that I am ready and I do admit that I'm powerless over marijuana and in my using days, my life was unmanageable. It honestly still is slightly unmanageable right now, but I'm so much better equipped to deal with it. So step two says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This was not a hard step for me at all. I actually felt step one was harder and just more arduous, and You know, it says in our Life with Hope book, for some of us, step one meant honesty for the very first time in our lives, which was definitely true for me in many ways. And step three for me is very dramatic. Made a decision. First of all, period, that's difficult making any decision. But then made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. But having to come to believe that something other than myself could help me and restore me to sanity, like, yeah, duh. I had proven, you know, over and over again that I was not the solution. I could not solve this problem alone. And I had evidence from being an MA when I lived in L.A. that this was the most beneficial and advantageous program uh, I had experienced in relation to getting me to stop weed after 20 years of smoking. So when I decided to come back this year and on my own accord, I was humble, coachable, teachable. I was ready to take guidance and learn from others who had what I wanted and uh, a good, honest life without the exhaustion and burden of drug addiction. Step two is to me about open-mindedness and hope. And they say in step two, we were left with two alternatives to stay as we were and continue using marijuana until we died or to seek spiritual help. Lucky for me, I'm a yoga practitioner and teacher, so I'm continuously hungry for spiritual development. I know this can be harder for others who have challenges with the idea of a higher power, but I think it's just about recognizing that no matter your higher power is, it's not you and it's not drugs. I've heard that higher powers can be the program, the universe, energy. I've literally even heard it can be a doorknob. (laughs) It's just honestly about letting go of our ego and admitting our insanity of trying to do things the same way and continuing to fail and being surprised. I personally love the idea of learning how to get more humble because my ego and pride are major character defects, and the people I look up to most in life and admire are incredibly humble people, and people want to be around that, and that's what I want and strive for. And honestly, in the last nine months, I've become more of this than I ever have in my entire life. And we never arrive, but I'm, more, I'm proud of myself for where I am today. And then step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Ooh, this was a rough one for me. I admittedly had a tough time with this. I felt like this step was asking me to give up my life or even at least my free choice. But something someone said in a meeting recently kind of made me see this step differently. He said, goals are different than expectations. So that made me realize that this step wasn't necessarily asking me to not have goals and aspirations, but I just needed to divorce myself from the outcome. Some questions from the workbook of this step asked us, have I tried to stop using marijuana through self will? Was I successful? If not, why do I think so? This series of questions in particular and my answers led me to this aha moment. It's where I connected the dots that while everyone is challenged by a lack of control over other people, places, and things, something unique about me and probably all of us in this program is that I can't control my marijuana use. So while some people can take a little hit before bed and be good or stop when they want to stop, God bless them, they're not marijuana addicts. And I am. And the only thing that helped me disconnect from this obsession was A, admitting it, B, realizing my way wasn't working, and then C, turning it over to something outside of myself that could help me. So right there, I guess I proved that when I released my grip, let go of control, and believe in something greater than myself, the obsession, the addiction that I had been trying to overcome is lifted. And this isn't just something I've learned in recovery. There are other areas in my life where I'm, I think I'm in charge. And this is a really good principle for me to put into place in all aspects of my life. I was incredibly exhausted, you know, and just stressed out. And this is just a much better way to live. You know, I had probably one of the hardest months I've ever had this past month, uh, just with work and, you know, the global pandemic and, you know, getting a dog. There's just been a lot of newness. And uh, I've been with a, my company for six years. They were recently acquired, and they were starting to push me out, and I needed to look for another job with, you know, a global pandemic going on and millions of other people looking for a job. It was incredibly stressful and um every day was a hustle a grind it was emotional but every night i went to bed praying i closed my eyes i spoke to my higher power i asked for guidance i asked for support i've learned to not make requests like please let me get this job but i just pray that i have the awareness to see god's path for me and trust that he has my back on monday i started a new job that i interviewed with about a month and a half ago They provided me a wonderful offer, and it it was such a change of pace from the company I was at that was basically pushing me out. So it all worked out. And though I was stressed and emotional many a day, I never lost faith, and I always trusted it would work out. Trust. A member taught me that trust stands for total reliance upon spiritual truth. And that's like one of a thousand nuggets. I have in my phone from this program. I'm going to pull up others that I've written down that I just absolutely love. And this is what I get from this program. And I write these down and I share them with newcomers or anyone who's interested. Here's some of my favorites. Love stands for letting others voluntarily evolve. Here's another one. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed we repeat what we don't repair you are the only one who needs to be impressed with your bottom forgiveness isn't saying it's okay it's saying i'm okay and then the last oh here's a couple more (laughs) you can't be kind of an addict just like you can't be kind of pregnant (laughs) and then integrity is when your insides match your outside So those are some of my favorites. Um, I'm so grateful for this program. It's really made me the wise, loving, compassionate, and valued human spirit that I used to dream of. I'll end my share with something I wrote down once about the reasons I stay sober. One, integrity. I no longer feel like a fraud, mostly to myself. I am living an authentically true life. Two, freedom, what a heavy and exhausting burden it was to carry around an addiction that had me smoking multiple upon multiple times a day, trying to figure out when and just how high I could get for every activity in my life. Sobriety in so many ways is such a simple, more freeing life. And then last but not least, three, connections and community. I don't want to sabotage or give up what I've built over this time. I probably have 100-plus people in my phone that I've met through this journey, and I probably talk to at least 5 to 10 of them on a daily basis. Waking up to get on a 6 a.m. my time meeting most mornings is such a gift. Access to daily worldwide Zoom meetings each day, the lessons and resources I have at my disposal Because of my addiction, in a strange way, I'm so grateful it came to this. I am such a better human now because of this, and I know my journey has just begun. Thank you so much for letting me have this opportunity, and uh, that's it.